Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. So today we're talking with Sarah Brown of the Failing Forward podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kayla. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. Uh, we, we love doing podcasts with other podcasters. It's like awesome. I know. It's like geeking out on something that you both love. Right, exactly. And like you're both used to it. And so it's uh, it's, it's nice. It's good. <laughs> All right. So we're just going to go ahead and kick it off. Um, this first question is one that we um, start by asking pretty much every one of our guests. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey? I would say I probably noticed that I had anxiety in high school. I didn't really know what it was. This was the early 90s. Actually, it was, yeah, early 90s and actually late 80s. And people didn't really talk about it. I mean, they talked about uh, depression and schizophrenia, but anxiety wasn't a huge conversation uh, topic. So, I noticed it first then I was, I went abroad. I spent a semester abroad in Italy and I remember feeling so uneasy and, and anxious and like obsessive thoughts and worries and things like that. I didn't have any of those body symptoms yet. I guess I was pretty tired, but uh, I didn't have like an upset stomach, which then I got later on in life. Uh, So I would say anxiety kind of started there with me. And then substance abuse, which I do put in the mental health disorder bucket, was in my family tree. And so I was really aware my parents were great educators around alcoholism in my family at a really young age. And my dad was amazing. He believed that if you would go to the doctor to broke to fix a broken arm, why wouldn't you get help for any mental illnesses? And so there's really no stigma associated with it. Uh, it was a, it was discussed a lot, and whether it was alcoholism or I, um, you know, had some relatives who had some other mental health issues, it was from at least for me, it was more chatted about. Whereas my parents' generation, it wasn't. Yeah, and that's like that's something that we talk about a lot. How generationally that's talking about mental health is kind of a new thing. Um, And like with Nancy, who's our executive director, her generation, um, it it wasn't talked about. And like, she grew up not talking about mental health and mental illness and um, that kind of whole like field and everything. Yeah. And And my, my family was not the norm. My parents were very progressive. I mean, my, 
although my dad was a stockbroker when he was younger, he had a master's in counseling. So he understood it. Uh, but it, it really wasn't, it wasn't talked about. They, I think my parents were one of the pioneers that said, we're going to talk about this. We're going to set up like family, family, um, support groups in our church. And they did that. They were the first. So I've never been um, embarrassed about it, if that makes sense. It's, yeah, it's like if I had cancer, it's the same thing. Or if I had, you know, diabetes, same thing. Exactly. It's like mental health is health, right? So yeah. Why not accept it as such? Yeah. As such. So I think because it wasn't very taboo and it was accepted, I got my master's in counseling too, in clinical counseling, and went down that path for a while. I worked in corrections where they were very progressive around taking care of children. It was a juvenile detention, and they were extremely progressive because, uh, I don't know if you know this, but 2020, that's uh, Hamilton County's juvenile detention facility, was one of the first facilities in the country to enact getting mental health professionals in there to monitor and work with the kids because they had three completed suicides in the eighties and the superintendent swore that he would never have that happen on his watch again. And so I was one of the early clinicians where we did suicide assessments, even correctional officers were checking for it. Uh, and to this day, I believe we've had no completed attempts since then. I, I don't know that for sure, but talk about a pioneer with that too. I mean, these kids, you know, in, in other correctional facilities, the correctional officers would say things like, oh, they're just, they just want attention. And he would always say, it doesn't matter if they want attention or not. Clearly there's an issue if they are having to get attention through this behavior. So it doesn't matter. Don't put a judgment on it. We still treat them and take care of them. Yeah, absolutely. That That's amazing. I, I did not know that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that until you just, until we started talking about this. Yeah. And we, we never had anybody on my watch. Thank God. Uh, who died. But I mean, can you imagine being responsible for those three children on your watch and having to call a parent and let the, or grandparent and let them know. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. So he never took that responsibility lightly and we, we were going around the country preaching it to other correctional facilities that they need to start doing this too. Cause more and more kids were getting arrested who had dual diagnoses. So. Yeah. Wow. That is that's incredible. Hearing the stuff that, you know, like your hometown is doing is um, really super inspiring. And uh, that's. Yeah. yeah. And it was really, if you think about it, it was a sea change for people because yeah. either one before that, it wasn't talked about, or right. B, if it was talked about, it was a, a ton of judgment placed around it. Yeah. You know, I, I interviewed Beth Dully and I know she works at one in five and uh, she grew up up the street from me and was really close with my sister. And so I had her on failing forward podcast to talk about her story and Brody's story. And I said something like some, I said the term like commit suicide. 
And she said, you know, we don't use that term anymore. We use the term die by suicide. Kayla, I can't tell you how many people said to me, Sarah, I'm so glad that you made that mistake because I would have said the same thing. And now I know what to say. Yeah, It's those small things yeah. that create a, a bigger change or different conversation. Exactly. And it's, it's that like language is so important when we think about mm. the way that we use our words yeah. um, and, and the intention behind it, or, I mean, sometimes not even just the intention because of, of course people don't mean to say it in no that way. You know what I mean? And so it's ignorance. I didn't know. Exactly. And it's, uh, and I love Beth and she is, she's so awesome at like, being able to like very lightly correct somebody and, and do it in a way that's like not being like, no, you're wrong. Actually. Um, she does it in a way that makes you feel heard and makes, uh, makes you just understand. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I, I heard the correction. I was like, Oh, I'm so glad you said that, but I didn't feel badly because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that's the whole thing about, what we're trying to do is, you know, start that conversation and um, really change the conversation around like mental health, mental illness, like suicide. Um, yeah. Like just talking about it, first of all, um, it's kind of a new concept, like we were just talking about. Um, but yeah, just uh, just bringing that awareness and kind of explaining the importance behind the words is, is really yeah. going to be an important change. It's powerful. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Very powerful. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast, uh, Failing Forward. Okay. Um, so you started your podcast in 2018, right? That's right. And it's the concept is just outstanding. Like that's such an incredible thing. Thank you. Talking about failure, right? Like that's a intimidating thing to talk about. But uh, what what kind of inspired you to start that? Yeah. So I, uh, had a business that failed and I'd say it was kind of like the perfect storm. I had a business that failed. I, my mom had passed away like a year before that I cut out alcohol because I recognized, Oh my gosh, wait, I've got this gene and I'm starting to notice that I'm drinking more. I don't want to make poor choices and I want to be healthy. So all those things combined. And I had a great coach who was like, why don't you do something with this? And I thought, I don't really want to write a book right now, but I love podcasts. And this is just how God, universe, source, whatever you want to call it, is amazing because I had some great uh partners with Gwyn Sound. They're my recording studio and they said, we'll help you. And they wrote my beautiful music and my intro and they do all my editing. And then I was also doing some consulting work for a local media company and they said, we'll help. And they did, they had podcast companies and they said, we'll help teach you anything we know. And then I had wonderful friends who are successful and smart giving and vulnerable because that's what I really wanted the vulnerability. I didn't want any people on there who were going to be fake and phony and act like they were perfect because nobody can relate to that. And, and then it just all came together. I can't believe we're going to have, listen to this, Kayla, we are going to have our hundredth episode in July. And on my bucket list, 
was to interview a Holocaust survivor. And because Cincinnati has the has a um, Holocaust museum, they were able to help me find somebody and I'm going to be interviewing him for our hundredth episode. That's amazing. Oh my God. Is that insane? I mean, talk about like the worst thing that could happen to you and how, how do you respond? Right. How do you, how do you still live and enjoy life? How do you, so many of them I'm sure suffered from many mental illnesses that weren't diagnosed or treated properly. Yeah. I mean, talk about like a perfect storm right there. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, wow. That, yeah. That one. <laughs> yes, I hope you do. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited yeah. about it. And, you know, there are not many of them left in the world. Right. So to get some, somebody is pretty special. So, Yeah. Is he, uh, is he a Cincinnati native or? Um... Um, no, he was, I mean, he lives in Cincinnati, yes, but his native land was, I believe in the Netherlands, somewhere in the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And he was in a concentration camp as a very young child there. His father was sent to Auschwitz and did not come out alive. And, uh, but he did, obviously, and then moved to the United States, and he became a professor at UC. He's a professor, physics professor. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that great? That's- but, you know, I don't know if you guys ever talk about in one in five, if you talk about any um, mental health therapies or, um, but there's, you know, Viktor Frankl helped, a, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, a lot of... I think actually a type of therapy came out of that. I'm not really sure what it is, but I I believe it's similar to some sort of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, But it's all, you know, we all have free choice. We have free will. And how do we, I think it's really, although he didn't know it then, but how do we create neuropathways in the brain to think more positively versus um, negatively? Yeah. That's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So if that, is that the person that you're... No, Viktor Frankl has, I think he's been dead for a number of years, but he, he, he definitely has been dead for a number of years and because he was older in the concentration camp. And then when he got out, he wrote this whole concept of choice. Yeah. You have choice. Regardless of if everything's taken away from you, you still can choose your attitude. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. And I know that that's, that doesn't always work for somebody that's in the throes of depression who needs medicine. Cause I'm not saying that therapy fixes everything. You know, right. I, I believe it's a combo of both, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, on the other hand, you do have to come to that point where you recognize that you need help and that's it's true. Kind of lie. And we've, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know about you. I don't know your experience with it, but my whole life, I always had this just underlying anxiety, right? And some points in my life, it would, it would um, have peaks and valleys. And I'd say right before COVID, again, talk about a little mini blessing. I went to my doctor and said, here's the deal. 
I am 45 years old. I have had this since my adolescence. I've done cognitive behavioral therapy. I've done exercise. I've cut out alcohol. I cut out caffeine for a while. I do certain foods. Like it's not going away. And so let's try some medicine. And Kayla, I'm so glad that I have that option. Like I live in a world where I have that option. Exactly. Yeah. And it's been amazing. Right. Right. That's a, that's such a powerful place to be in to like recognize that what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through is beyond my capacity to, you know, like uh, control it. So Mm -hmm. at that point, there's nothing wrong with taking medication. Yeah. Talking to your therapist, seeing what the options are. And I mean, I've, I've been in that place as well and it's, it's like scary, but then you realize that like, okay, this is going to help me. It's just like what we were talking about earlier. You have like, if you have cancer, if you have diabetes, if you have a broken arm, like you're going to go and get treatment and take medication and do what you can to keep yourself healthy. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it's all about being the best version of yourself that you can Mm. be. And sometimes you need a little boost (laughs) to get you. Yes, totally. Yeah. Talking about like this concept of failure, right. With with the the podcast that you do, um, that can be really challenging and draining, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way that you frame it in your podcast, um, is not it, it doesn't come off that way you know no I, mean? I think it's a gift yeah and that's amazing it's not it's not so much of like so tell me about what knocked you down it's more of like what helped you get back on your feet yes um and people want to hear those stories because every day we all feel knocked down right 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 people want to hear who got knocked down and then who got back up because then that's something that they can relate to and they can see, you know, I've had this negative experience or whatever, and I had to build myself back up. Um, but I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what, uh, we try to do a lot with, um, sharing mental health stories and, um, talking to people on our podcast, Mm -hmm. um, and like our videos and takeovers and stuff like that. It's really just all about like relating to people and, and getting people to see that, you know, you're not alone. Like you're not going through this world by yourself. And I think that's such yeah, a- Yeah, it's connection. Exactly. exactly. And I think uh, I read once that the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say connection is the number one thing that we all need. So- can we talk a little bit about like what kind of brought you out of or what kind of brought you into sobriety a little bit? Yeah. Talking about that connection, like maybe who are the people in your life that. Oh, that's a good question. So here was the kind of drinker I was. I was married at the time. We had no children. So we could go out a couple times a week. Right. And we go out on a Friday or Saturday too. So I was probably going out, I don't know, three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. I wasn't your daily drinker. I didn't black out, but I did. It got progressively worse and worse. Like 
I would get mean when I would come home. And the only person that ever saw that was my ex-husband, my friends, my family. They had no idea because Kayla, I really hypermanaged it. So I spent so much time of my life thinking about when I could drink, thinking about when I wasn't drinking, just like controlling it. And I, my ex-husband, who was a great, who was a great ex-husband, he, we, we went out one Saturday night, maybe it was Friday. doesn't matter. It was a Friday. And I, I never like blacked out. Like that wasn't me. I might forget some things, but not, you know, and the story is kind of anticlimactic. And I think it's important for people to hear because, you know, you don't have to be in the gutter or drinking every day to recognize that you have a problem. Right. So we had gotten into a fight. I know I was mean. I know I was mean and nasty to him. And the next morning I woke up and said something like, oh my God, do you think I should like, should I quit drinking? And he was like, yes. And you know what, Kayla, that's all I needed. I think I had known it. There is alcoholism in my family. My dad was sober before my parents even met. Uh, Siblings are like, it just, so I'm the third one now that doesn't drink in my family of three kids, which is so funny. Uh, And it was really hard. It was really hard because we were social. Like, yeah, we, yeah. And, and Kayla, when you meet me in person, I'm like, I like to have fun. I really like to have fun. Okay. And I'm kind of a risk taker. So like being at the party and being wild, well, that was like fun for me, you know? Right. But I also recognize my hangovers. I thought when I hit 40, that 40 was making my hangovers worse. That's total BS. And for any listeners, if you're saying to yourself, I hit 40 and my hangovers are worse because I'm 40, that's a lie. It's because you're drinking too much. Okay. Um, And so health-wise, I just didn't feel great. You know, I felt terrible in the morning and bottom line is it muted me. I depended on it. I wasted so much time. And I believe that I got many blessings from getting sober. The podcast is one of them. Yeah. Big time. Well, I love that. And I love that. Like, like you said, it's, sort of an anticlimactic story and that sharing that story I think is so important because like I know that so I lived with a few um sober people uh a few years ago and was very involved in like the AA community in Cincinnati for a little bit yeah um kind of got to like look into that life without being in it um and it was always so like, I don't want to say interesting, but interesting to hear people's stories and hear like what encouraged them to try sobriety. Yeah. And a lot of the time it isn't that like hitting rock bottom. Like that's exactly right. Yeah. It's just that it's yeah. And people don't feel like they only hear the worst stories. And so they think they have to live life being forced to drink or to have drinks at parties all the time. And so since then, another gift of sobriety with a friend who listened to my podcast and decided to get sober too, because, because I sounded like her in her drinking, we started, it's, it's for women. It's called 0.0 living. And so we do 30 day alcohol-free challenges 
It is not a replacement for AA or, you know, if you need to go into treatment, this is for people who are gray area drinkers who feel social pressures or because of COVID or because of creating bad habits of drinking every day to quit, to cope, we created a community and it's been amazing. So you can go, yeah, I'm going to plug the website. It's zero zero living.com. And we are starting a 30 day challenge in September. And so you get daily emails, daily videos, uh, a, a book and a workbook. And then we have weekly meetings because then you get to meet other people. Yeah. And for those people who did the 30 day challenge this last year, we're, we're all going on a retreat to, um, to Asheville. Yeah. We're staying in a really lovely hotel and doing a two day retreat. So it's not just a 30 day and then you're done. It's community. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. I talk about this. Like I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of newer and mm-hmm. Well, we'll definitely yeah. add that into the show notes for anyone listening. Um, just click down below and we'll uh, guide you to that. Um, yeah, because it's you probably experience this with your sober friends, but there are a lot of people who don't want to drink, but they feel the pressure to drink because it's what we do on weekends. Yeah, It's like, oh, we're going to go to a bar. Oh, we're going to go to a party. And everybody's pushing alcohol. And when you say, oh, I'm doing... Uh, like people, it's more acceptable to do dry January, but it wasn't before. And so I want, just like what you guys are doing with suicide, I want to change the dialogue around alcohol consumption. I love that. That's so powerful. You don't have to, you don't have to have fun. You can have fun without alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you're going to remember it too. Right. So everybody's like, oh, I had so much fun last night. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I can't really remember. I was so drunk at the end of the night. How did you know you had fun? And now you don't even have a memory to remember it by. Right, exactly. You're you're living this life, but not really present for it the you're, whole time. Totally. And then I would also say with people that are on medication, alcohol is no bueno for you. It is the, it's like, for anxiety, you know this, so I'm preaching to the choir. It's like putting fuel on a fire. Yeah, seriously. And like <sighs> depression, anxiety. Yes. Um, it's It just adds this extra layer of, of kind of something that you have to work through. Yes. It's, yeah. I think there, I, I think COVID brought about a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And since COVID, women now consume more alcohol than men, which is pretty alarming considering typically our body size versus them. And if you look at marketing, all the ads and everything, it's all the time, all the time to be interesting, to be cool, to be sexy, to be a woman, you've got to drink blah, 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 blah. And I just, I don't buy it. That's so wild to me. That's I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my so start watching ads now. You're going to be like, oh my God, there's another one. Right. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, I don't have cable though. So I'm like, <laughs> I'll go you know what? I know. I'm thinking, okay. Um, Spotify. Oh, 
Yeah. Like, do you have free Spotify? I have free Spotify. So I have ads on there. You'll notice them there too. And listening to podcasts that are like marketing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You're right. Well, one of the, one of the biggest podcasts that I listen to, um, it's called my favorite murder. It's like a true. Crime. Yes. Do you listen to them too? No, I, you know, it's so funny. I mean, they have rocked it, Oh my God. but I, I don't, I don't love them. Oh, really? I think you need, I know. Sorry. You're probably like, how could you not love that? That's like somebody saying they don't love game of Thrones. Uh, I, I just couldn't get into them. That's fair. They're very, very talkative. Sorry. Yeah. I wanted to. It's all right. It's all right. Anyway, I, what were you going to say? What were you going to say about them? Uh, well, Karen, one of the hosts is sober. So okay. they, they don't do a lot of like marketing for, uh, or they, they haven't done any like advertising. For that. Yeah. Uh, Mark Marin, Yeah. WTF. Do you listen to him? I've heard a couple of Oh my God. I'm obsessed with him. Um, he's sober too. So he always brings it up actually in his interviews, which I love. And he's interviewing a ton of famous people who 80% of them are sober. Yeah. Seriously. Like, yeah. Talk mm-hmm. about uh, like epidemic. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh my God. Have you guys seen any correlations between alcohol consumption and completed suicides? Yeah. So people living with alcoholism are up to 120 times more likely to die by suicide than those who are not dependent on alcohol. Um, And 29% of suicide victims in America are found with alcohol in their system. Yeah. So, Sarah, you are, you are a busy, busy lady, right? So you've got, well, now I've got this great time on my hands, so I might as well do something positive with it. I, I love that. Right. That. Instead of spending all this time thinking about drinking, it's like, Oh my God, let's do things. stuff. Yeah. How, how to help other people in yeah. that you have experienced. Yep. And that's amazing. Thank you. So with all of these like things that you're working on, so you have, um, your podcast, you have, yes. um, 0.0 living. Yes. Um, and then, you and then I have a day job. Yeah, you run a, is it? I, firm? I work for a medical staffing company called Health Carousel. Okay. And we staff nurses and physicians. Okay. And I lead our sales enablement and sales ops team. Okay. So people are like, what's sales enablement? It's how do we make our salespeople uh, the most effective or productive? Okay. So we help them with tools. We help them with process. We help them with training. We help them with process. Did I say process? Yeah. So, um, that's a lot of stuff though. Like you're doing a lot. Well, I also have no children. Okay. And now I'm single. So I have time. Well, okay. I do have two dogs who are the love of my life. Okay. I have a It's Kayla. They are my children. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like dogs are our babies, right? That's it. Oh that's my God. Uh, yes. But, uh, so Sarah, with all of this, like stuff that you're doing, how, like what, what kind of, um, like self-care do you, yeah. do you like, or like, how do you take care of your mental health through all yeah. of this stuff? So I 
went through a divorce uh, in the last six months, and that was really hard. And so I have a great therapist. I, um, I mean, I don't have alcohol as a depressant, which is really great because I know I'd be self-medicating. I do. I'm starting to get better about exercising, but mostly it's around having fun. And that connection piece is really, really important. Uh, and then the last thing is, I would say the spiritual side, that is really important to being sober for me. Yeah. And it's, you know, kind of what I grew up with, although my practice is very, I grew up Catholic. I don't really practice Catholicism today. However, uh, spirituality is super, super important to me. And then I will tell you the last thing that I'm doing is I'm really trying to focus on myself because I think that as hard as the divorce was, it gave me an opportunity to spend some time focusing on me. I spent so much time focusing on him and, and, uh, so it's okay. Let's, you have a chance now. Let's, let's focus on you for a little bit. Yeah. And um, I interviewed this guy for my podcast. His name is Steven Campman. And he talks about doing that inner work, really, uh, you know, loving yourself, getting comfortable with yourself. Because at the end of the day, all we really have are our, is ourself. I mean, yes, we have others and everything like that, but all we really have is ourself. And so I'm, I'm really working on, this is going to sound super cheesy, but I'm working on really liking and falling in love with myself. Uh, I have a good friend, Lynn Watts. She was on my, my podcast too, but she, every year, she literally Kayla, she loves herself. Okay. She thinks that she's pretty great. I do too. And she, for her birthday every year, she spends it with herself, her favorite person. Yes. Now I'm not there yet, girl. Okay. <laughs> not there yet, but someday I, I won't spend the whole day, but I'll spend half of the day with my favorite person myself and then, you know, friends and family, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is so powerful. That's so Isn't that such a, something to strive for? Absolutely. Because if you're not comfortable in your own skin, you can't help others. You can't love others. I mean, you can, but you know. Yeah. And that that whole, like, it sounds so cliche to say, like, you have to love yourself first, but it's true. It's It's true. true. Mm -hmm. I I also write the self-care blog for one in five. And so I love to ask people about their self-care routines. Um, nice. Everybody has their own, you know, everybody's on. Their yeah. Own and it changes. It does. My self-care this year is very different than it was. And if that means I go home and take a nap, like on a weekend, you know, or when I get home from work, is there any shame or judgment in that? No. Mm-hmm. I did that last night. I was like, it was like seven o'clock. I was like, you know, Best. I want to take a half hour nap. And I did. Yeah. And I'm going to, yeah, thank you. (laughs) But that's a, I love that you brought up your friend who loves herself because that's like exactly the journey that I'm on right now is I'm trying to get to that point where I can be my favorite person. Yeah. Like 
spending a year and a half, like I live alone. So my, I have a boyfriend, but he um, is still in school. So he's here half the year and then he's at school half the year. Yeah. And for the months that he was like in school, it was the first time in my life that I ever had to just be by myself. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to like, love spending time with myself and love being around me. Yeah. And that's like, I know I'm not the only person in that boat. Like, No way. There's so many people who experience that for the first time, probably for the first time or maybe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That, that's- you know, this is, this is, this is interesting because when COVID hit, I remember I reached out to some people who are like startup gurus. Right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what new business is going to come out of this? And their answers were things like meditation apps and whatever. But I think the aha that I just got from you is that what's come out of COVID is self-discovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Like a new level of like Mm self-awareness that for most people that we haven't seen in the past. And it's like, yeah, it's so cool to like, see this, like starting and see where that's going to take us. Because at this point, I don't know where that's going to lead us. I hope it's going to be something good. I, I right. can imagine it's going to be something good. But, um, oh, such a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. The way our social consciousness has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Sarah, I know that uh, we have to kind of wrap things up for you here. Um, this conversation has been amazing. So much fun. Ditto. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being open and honest with us and uh, sharing your insights and um, talking about these topics that, you know, we need to talk about. Um, yeah. And on that note, is there anything that you wanted to say before we uh, wrap up here? I know we've got a few minutes. I just, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you are doing and one in five is doing because uh, it's needed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're super excited to see uh, what's coming next with Failing Forward and uh, Zero Zero yeah. Living. And I'll definitely be listening to that episode uh, with the Holocaust survivor. That sounds Please do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You believe-